our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 91. Might be a familiar psalm to some of you. It has some very familiar phrases contained in it. Uh, Scholars are uncertain as to who actually wrote the psalm. Some people think it's Moses because he wrote Psalm 90. And he opens very similar in Psalm 90 as the Psalm 91 opens about the dwelling place of the Lord. But whoever wrote it did a great job of understanding how to live at peace even in turbulent times. And we'll talk about that. Let's read it together. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the, of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, as we look at these words today, would you open our hearts really to your speaking, cause us to pay attention to you, to ourselves, to fashion us with these words into your image, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Four weeks ago on a Sunday, after I was preaching, I was getting ready to head to the mountains of North Carolina for some vacation. And on that Sunday, an earthquake came to the mountains of North Carolina. I bet most of you remember hearing something about that. I'd never heard of an earthquake in North Carolina, and I thought, is this a sign? I mean, is this something like, I can't believe Paul's taking a vacation, so it's an earthquake, or he shouldn't take a vacation. I couldn't figure it out, but it caused me to go to the internet and say, well, what do you do if you're ever in an earthquake? I never even thought about this. So on one government website, it said this, If you're inside, drop to the ground, take cover by getting underneath something strong and sturdy, and hold fast until the shaking stops. Drop to the ground, get underneath something strong and sturdy, and then just hold fast until the shaking stops. And I thought, well, that's not just good advice in in a natural occurring earthquake, it's also good advice in a personal earthquake. When, when your life starts to crack open, when, when what you put your feet on begins to shift, drop to your knees, get underneath the steadiness of God's hand, and, and hold fast until 
that shaking stops. And the writer here of Psalm 91, he's very familiar with personal earthquakes. You can see it just in his word choice. He's talking about snares, deadly pestilence, terror, arrows, destruction, war, evil, lions, snakes. But he's not just aware of the the personal earthquakes. He's also very aware and familiar with the Almighty God. He's somehow learned to live at peace even when his world cracks open and tries to swallow up his soul. So we want to lean in and we want to learn from this man and we want to hear these comforting and encouraging words from Psalm 91, but we want to really be careful to understand them in the right way. We want to really understand what he is promising and and what's not promised in this psalm. If you took more time just to look at it, you would see that the psalm breaks into three easy parts with these pronouns. Verses 1 and 2, he's talking about himself. I will say to the Lord, this is the God in whom I trust. It's like a, his first two verses are a personal testimony. I have met this Lord. I know His name. I've been in His dwelling. I've been in His home. I know all about Him. And, and I want you to know that. And then in verses 3 through 13, he shifts and he says, for He will deliver you. You can find protection. So he's trying to say, hey, I've found this protection. I've personally experienced it. I personally trusted in the Lord. Now I really want you to find the same thing. So for 10 verses, you will be underneath his wings. You will not fear the arrow that flies by, by, by night. A thousand may fall at your side, but it will not come near you. You hear that? This is a, I've, I've given a personal testimony. I really want you to, to believe it too. I really want you to trust in the Lord as well. And then the last three verses, because you have hold fast, you've trusted this testimony, you, you've trusted in the Lord. Now the Lord is saying, I will deliver. I will protect. I will answer. I will be with. I will rescue. This is the Lord speaking. He's coming behind this man who said, this has been my experience. And the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to know it's true. I'm going to do all of these things. It's a great, great psalm. And I want to look at these three parts, the first two primarily, and help us understand what the writer is talking about in these these passages. Verses 1 and 2, the writer is sort of like a volcano. He's so excited about God that he can't keep it in. He just blows the top off in these two verses because in these two verses, in just these two verses, he gives four names of God and four metaphors for God. That's a lot to cram in in two verses. And so he, you, can, you can feel his eruption. He just wants you to know this God that he knows. He's most high. In the Hebrew, he's Elyon. This is inaccessibly high. He's completely holy. He's He's not like us. He's separated from us. He's almighty or El Shaddai. He's indescribably powerful. And then he's the Lord, capitalized L-O-R-D. That's, that's, he has a name. This is the name Yahweh. This is the name that God gave Moses. So he's not just uh, seemingly inaccessibly high and, and almighty. He's personal. You, you can know his name. You can call on Him, not just by some generic God if you're out there, but He has a name. You could know Him. He knows your name. And He's my Elohim. 
supreme. The psalmist is trying to say, hey, in a life full of voices, trying to to command your soul, there's a supreme commander. And that's who I listen to. He's totally transferred his trust to this guy. To this God. This is what he wants you to do. This is what he's done. He's saying, see, this my God, this Elohim, this is the one I've, I've transferred all of my trust to. And I want you to do the same. I want to I st- slow down and just focus on what I think is a key verse for this passage. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. This word dwell comes from the verb to sit down. And it means to sit down in your own home. So you might say, here's my house, it's my dwelling. That would, that'd be a little awkward, but you'd understand what you'd, you meant. It's, it's where you sit down, you have your comfy chair. You know, you have your stuff. It's, you're not sitting in my house, you're, you're sitting down in a place that you're going to call home. This is where you dwell, this is where you stay. And then shelter, it's, it says shelter, but... There are better translations, I think, and several translations use different words like this. He who dwells in the secret place or hidden place. Shelter sometimes is like, well, it's raining. I just kind of come over here on a porch and I get some shelter. That's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about a place like a home that you access And it's a secret place. It's a hidden place. More like Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. You're not just a shelter. You're a place that I can go to. And there's some place that when I'm with you, I'm I'm hidden from all the, the trauma of the world because I'm in your presence. So the writer of Psalm 91 is telling us that he's found a way to completely sit down like you're sitting in a home, in a hidden place, and it's a place that he's transferred his trust to God. I want to say this carefully. It's a place open to everyone here. It's not just a few seats. Everyone here can have this place, but it's not easily accessible. Meaning, it's not like a convenience store. It's not like, well, I'm running around and racing around and, hey, I really need a a 99-cent, 80-ounce drink and some chips. So I run into the Scotchman and I get what I need and then I run back out and then I'm on my merry way. It's not that kind of place. It's not that easily accessible. It's almost never entered into if you're in a hurry. This is an entrance you're going to go right by if your whole life is in a hurry. It's a hidden place. It's a secret place. It's a place you find when you slow way down. It's a place you find when you realize your agenda isn't primary anymore. That you have a supreme commander and you're taking orders from him rather than praying and basically giving orders to him. It's a place that you know you've entered into, usually from silence and prayer and reading God's Word. 
You know you've entered into it if you've transferred all of your trust to God. And I wonder if you know this place. Or is your life just so fast? Doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but you're not familiar with this, what, what the psalmist is saying here. The, the word dwell on occasion is also trans, translated as marrying. You're getting married. Isn't that interesting? Same idea. I'm, I'm dwelling. I'm married to the Lord. We share the same home. And I love the old marriage vows found in the, 19, uh, or the 1789 Book of Common Prayer. It uses these words for the ring ceremony. With this ring, I thee wed. That's where we get that. But most of the time, we don't have this wooden language afterward. But I think it says something important. It says, with this ring, I thee wed. With all my worldly goods, I thee endow. A few of us might remember hearing something like, like that. Get that picture? With all my worldly goods, I mean, whatever I own or have my name on or is part of me, I'm endowing, I'm entrusting to someone else. And then that person is saying the same thing. So, so I don't have any more trust in my stuff. I'm endowing it now all to you. It's a beautiful little picture. It's the picture the, the psalmist wants you to say. When you, when you come into this secret place, when you have this hidden life in God, You've transferred all of your trust. You really trust in Him. And in this hidden life, nothing can touch you there. No evil can befall you in that place. Let me give you a few examples of people who have learned or maybe are learning to sit down truly transfer trust. First, the Apostle Paul. Here's a man that, as Joseph Ray talked about last week, he's in prison, he's in Roman prison, and it's either a really terrible place or just a terrible place. It's one of those two. And he's chained to a Roman soldier. So there's no way for him to get away or escape, not that he would have. And try to imagine this Roman soldier. He's somebody in society. He's Roman, that's number one. And he's got some kind of power. He knows what it means to be somebody. He's getting his identity from the world and he's chained to this loser named Paul. He doesn't even know. And they begin this conversation. And Paul's saying, for me to live, it's Christ. I'm doing God's will right now being chained to you. Why? Because he's my supreme commander. And if he wants me chained to a Roman soldier, then I'm going to be chained to a Roman soldier. And the Roman soldier would have said, well, I might just chop off your head. And what would the Apostle Paul say? That's gain. I mean, you see what he's saying? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. There, soldier, there's no way you can touch me in this place. Yes, I can be in prison. And yes, you can chop off my head. But I have a hidden place you can't come to. And in that place, Christ is a shelter to me. And no matter what might be happening in the chaos of my external life, there's a place that only God exists with me that I trust He's going to completely protect me all the way through my current life circumstances. 
So the Apostle Paul, he, he understood this place that the psalmist is talking about. I talked to a friend this week who's fighting a deadly disease. And they said to me, well, I always thought of myself as the driver in my life. You know, I got up this today and I just had to schedule things and I drive myself around and I, I'm operating my life. That's I'm the driver. But I'm learning to realize I always have been, but I'm just a passenger. And she said to me, I get up each day and say, Lord, where are you driving me today? That's a person who's found that spot. I, 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 I used to feel like I was in some kind of control. What didn't mean I, I wasn't a Christian, but now I realize, you know what? I'm just a passenger. And I always was just a passenger. And so now I wake up and say, Lord, I'm a passenger in your world. And where are you driving me today? She's in a place that is a hidden place with God. It's a place no evil and disease can touch her there. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie, for example, A Hidden Life. It's a difficult movie to watch. It's beautiful and tragic at the same time. It's about a man who's uh, from Austria, and he lived in Austria at the time of World War II. And when the Germans invaded Austria, if you had any capacity, ability as a man, you became a soldier in Hitler's army. And so they round you up, and you have to stand in line and swear allegiance to Hitler. And this one man named Franz, he couldn't do it. He was a devout Christian man. And because of it, he, because he refused to lift his hand and swear allegiance to Hitler, he was imprisoned, tortured, and then beheaded. And throughout the movie, you're just inspired by this man. Because from every angle, people are constantly trying to get him to just, he, all he has to do is write his name on the bottom of a piece of paper. Just to say, I agree. And, and you can walk out saying, I didn't really mean it or all that stuff, but you've got to have your name on that line. And his mom tries to persuade him. His whole town tries to persuade him. A, a, a lawyer who's on, on, in, from Austria tries to persuade him. Even the German judge who's going to send him to death says, dude, all you have to do is just sign this thing. And in one of the very moving, there's a lot of moving moments and it. it's a difficult thing to watch. A lawyer comes and puts a piece of paper in front of him and says, Franz, just sign it and you'll be free. And Franz kind of turns his head and looks at him and says, I'm already free. Do you, do you hear that? He's in a prison. He's being tortured. He's going to be beheaded at the end of the movie. But he's free. He's free because he's made the Most High a hidden place. And in that place, no evil can befall. No disease can come near his tent. There is a place that only exists with you and God. And what this person wants to ask, and I'm asking for him today, is do you know that place? 
you have a chair in that home, it comes at some cost to you. It's not easily accessed, but it's open. It's open to everybody. Well, he gets so excited about it, he wants to try to uh, get you to understand this. So he again, he has this sort of second eruption about all the things God's going to do for, do for you. He's going to deliver you from snares, these traps that Satan sets to imprison your soul. He's going to cover you with his wings like a, a mother bird covers her chicks. You don't have to fear. You're not going to fall. No evil is going to overtake you. Angels are going to assist you. You're going to tread on lions and snakes, which is a a way to say you're going to tread over the head of Satan himself. Satan's a roaring lion. Satan's a serpent. So you're going to live this kind of life. And he's trying to draw you in because it's so powerful. It's such a great place to be. But I think here is where we need to be careful careful how we read these words and what conclusions we come to. Because you could read through these verses and you could conclude, well, if I trust God, no no bad's going to befall me. I mean, I get up, I read these verses, and I say no plague is going to come near my tent. And so I forget the mask. Forget the social distancing. I mean, God already said, I'm not going to ever get COVID. He said it in Psalm 91. Or could say that, which I'm going to show you is not a good thing to say. Or you could look at somebody else in trouble and you could say equally as painful, maybe even more painful, because you have some disease, because you have some trouble, you must not be trusting God. So how should we think about these words? As I was thinking through that, I listened to about eight or nine things I could say, and I thought, I get tired of listening to myself in my head, so I can't say eight or nine things in a sermon. So let me just give you a few a few thoughts I have. First clue, you know that's not what the writer's trying to say is actually in the psalm itself. Psalm 91, verse 15, when he calls to me, this is me calling out to God, God says, I will answer him. And I'm like, yes, I will be with him, yes, in trouble. Oh, mm, in trouble. I thought I was supposed to have no trouble. I mean, wasn't that these, all these previous verses? It should be, God, let me rewrite this. You will answer me and you will rescue me from all trouble. That's what, how I would want to write that. But you know from the psalmist, he's, he's had a lot of personal earthquakes. And he's trying to say, hey, God is going to help you. and He's going to be with you in trouble. He's not necessarily rescuing you from all trouble. That's one way you'd know. Second way you'd know that you can't just use this sort of like it's a magic formula to, to quote and claim and then walk out the door is if you were reading through the Bible front to back, what's the book that comes right before the book of Psalms? Job. I mean, if there ever was somebody who transferred their trust... It was Job. If you don't know any other verse from Job, and if you don't know where it is, you know, yet though he slay me, I will trust. Here's a man who's transferred trust, and all these things have happened to him or his family. And so you know when you read through it, you go, okay, 
This can't mean like it's a magic spell, which it, it doesn't. Number three, third reason I would say you can't use this as a magic spell is because of what I've already said in verse 1 and 2. I think the psalmist is talking not about life in, in all its complexity. He's talking about the shelter. He's talking about the secret place. He's talking about this hidden place that Paul has found, that my friend is finding, that the man in Austria found. This is the place he's talking about. He's not saying no evil could ever befall you in your life circumstances. And finally, and maybe most importantly, you'd never want to use these words like some kind of magic to keep you from all harm because that's how Satan used these words. Satan only quotes the Old Testament in the New Testament one time. And he quotes to Jesus Psalm 91. You remember where he does it? The temptation. Remember Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, the first thing is, hey, I'm sure he's hungry, he kind of appeals to a, a physical thing and turn these stones into bread. And then the next one, he takes Jesus to a high place. So on a sheer cliff that leads up to the temple wall and he takes him to the very top and says, hey, let's just quote Scripture. And he quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. It, Jesus, if you cast yourself off to this, hey, we've already got the magic, the magic uh, words. God's going to command His angels concerning you. God's going to have their hands come up and bear you up. You're not even going to strike your foot against a stone. It's like He's saying to Jesus, cast yourself off. Let's see if this magic spell, Psalm 91, works for you. And Jesus rebukes him for misquoting Scripture. So you, don't want, you want to be very careful when you use these words for yourself or for somebody else. So I think it's interesting to me that um, where do we know that angels definitely did attend Jesus? Garden of Gethsemane. To rescue Jesus from the cross? No, to help Him endure the cross. See, that's how we know the way God is operating. Jesus has that hidden place. He's totally transferred all trust to God. And even though outwardly these circumstances are horrendous, He knows God's somehow going to bring Him all the way through in this place. That's how He, he knows. That's how you and I can know. And why didn't, why didn't Satan quote verse 13 of Psalm 91? Why did he stop at verse 12? You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample. How does Jesus trample Satan? Through his death. You see, because of the way we're wired, let me just say me. I don't want to assume you're as dumb as I am. Okay? But the way I'm wired is I'm leaning into these verses to say, no harm, Paul, is going to come your way. I desperately want that. I'm wired for me. So every time I look at the Bible, I just think, me, how does it help me? How does it come for me? How does it provide me? That's not my sinful nature just coming out saying, I'm looking for me in here. And 
Jesus says, no, there's a totally different way. If you're looking at God, if you completely transferred your trust to Him, then whatever may befall you, you can trust in this place, He's going to bring your soul all the way through. Finally, in verse 14 and 16, just have a moment just to circle these two words. Because He holds fast. That's talking about you and me. We hold fast. The earth is quaking. The the things that we put underneath our feet are sort of splitting apart. And the Lord is looking for us to hold fast. And I wonder in this time of chaos of COVID or school or your own personal tragedies, are you holding fast? Or have you let go somehow? And communion is a great way to just remind ourselves to hold fast, number one, and also to remind us of the grace of God. That's not ultimately whether you hold fast to Jesus. The good news is He's going to hold fast to you. He will hold us fast. So that's what we want to think about as we take communion together. So. 